gun Ramos looking like he's got one more good run Sips a little shaky But his heart is still true Oh how that dog loves hunting with me and you Sporting dog adventures run Hey, this is Jeff Fuller of Soggy Acres Retrievers and Sporting Dog Adventures TV. We have had a great run showing our love for dogs with our show, our podcast, our social media, and all that is based on Soggy Acres Retrievers. We proudly bring this podcast to you by Soggy Acres Retrievers and ask you if you are looking for training, boarding, or a yellow, black, or chocolate Labrador Retriever puppies, please check out SoggyAcres.com. Remember, everyone deserves a Soggy Dog. Welcome to the Sporting Dog Adventures Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Fuller, and I wanted to talk to everyone today about what your favorite duck hunt is. Well, I guess to start by talking about my favorite duck hunt. In the second part of the show, I wanted to talk about picking a training program had a post I saw on social media a couple of days ago that really kind of fired me up. So I figured we would talk about how to choose a program and a little bit more on how in our society it is either you choose this or you're wrong. I also wanted to talk to you about the motion in your decoy spread. So with that said, Let's talk about our favorite hunts that we have upcoming. I have to say that one of my favorite hunts I am going to go on is I'm going to take a day and I'm going to hit a bunch of pheasant areas around my property. Uh, I don't know if I'll see any birds, but I'm going to take the dogs out and get a little exercise so I'm not just sitting in the mud quacking at ducks and have them out in the afternoon. That, though, will be set up by a morning hunt that I have planned in my head where I'm going to go out on my boat which is a 12 foot pontoon boat that we are setting up with a blind and I'm going to sit on a dense rice patch that's right on the side of the river that I'm going to guess will not get hunted. The rice last time I was out there wasn't as noticeable so unless someone was out scouting in August they wouldn't have saw this spot and it's just going to be a neat hunt. It's going to be a cool little spot where you have an inlet where the birds can get into the rice. I think we can set up on the mouth of that. I think we can set our decoys up and it's just going to be different. I don't know if it'll be successful but for me a lot of hunting where it's looked at as being successful in my mind is did I try something different? Did I step outside my comfort zone and did I put myself in a position that was not something I've done in the past and I've never had a boat, never hunted out of a boat of my own, never had it where I was set up on something like what we're going to set up on all through even TV. I never a rice patch that was like what we're going to set up on. So it will be a cool hunt for me because... Again, it's outside of my comfort zone. It is going to be hopefully successful, but the success will be judged on 
Do we get a few birds to decoy? Am I guessing right? Am I picking right? And am I going to be set up right once we get there? This comes down to planning out the cover that we're going to have on our mini pontoon boat blind, the spot where I plan on setting up that blind, having the decoys where they are basically somewhat in front of the blind, leaving the inlet open so that the birds can probably, what I'm guessing, land in front by our decoys and swim in or just uh, cut the corner and swim in and we, we shoot them right before, uh, right, right as they're going by. It's just going to be interesting because I've, I've been thinking about this hunt all summer once I found this spot and it's just a master plan. It could very much end up being where I get zero and don't do a damn thing and, and the hunt just doesn't turn out. But it could turn out to be something where, I mean, if I shoot two to four ducks, this is going to be a really great hunt. And then I'm going to bookend that with taking my dogs out and just hitting some of the public hunting grounds in the area so that I can see if I can still hit a pheasant. I've got a couple of spots that I'm pretty certain there should be wild birds because it's a large, unbroken area of cover. But overall, it's just going to be a fun day. I may not shoot a bird that entire day, but it's something that I've planned. It's something that is part of hunting. To me, too much we get into where hunting needs to be a sure thing, where, especially with TV, you're advertising guide services so you're not as much part of setting the hunt up but they're putting you on the x so that you do have success because they want to look good so this is zero reliance on anyone it's a hunt that i've been working on and planning out for the morning and the afternoon all summer and it's just going to be a fun thing i plan on taking one dog with me on the upland hunt in the morning that dog will then accompany us uh, or on, on the waterfall in the morning, the dog will then accompany us on Upland. Probably will take three dogs out on Upland. I really enjoy running more than one or two dogs uh, when I run Upland. And it'll be fun actually on the hunter side too to get the hunters out there. I'm going to have probably either my kids or a couple of friends and to watch everyone get to go from where you're sitting on your rear end and shooting at uh, flying missiles going by to the excitement of the flush and getting on the bird and, and, and hopefully putting them down on Upland. So it's it's something that, again, I've had this pictured in my mind all year. I'm going to wait until the right day because I don't think the spot that I'm trying to hunt for waterfall is going to get hit. I think it's it's a small spot. It's in an obscure area. And I'm thinking it's, it's probably a one-time hunt for the year. But I'm going to pick the perfect day. I'm going to pick the time... I want the right weather, and we'll see. We've got a lot of options with where I hunt and the different spots that we do hunt on, so I've got plenty of options. It's not like I would even have to hunt this spot, but this is just something that I planned out, and I hope you have. I hope you have a hunt in your mind, whether it's big game, upland, waterfall, where you look at it and go, you know what, I'm going to be aggressive and just try something one day. Just try it and see if it works, and have it where it could be boom or bust that to me is what is the most fun about hunting the unknown if you have a spot that every year really works out it's your perfect spot to sit in it's always easy to go back and sit on that spot time and time again i do think that many times we 
our own worst enemy because we'll have that perfect spot. And whether it's big game or it's upland or it's waterfowl, we tend to overhunt and not rotate through things because we feel like you have to have success. This year is going to be more about trying different blinds. Uh, we've got a different hunt as well. The water is incredibly low right now, and if that holds, it's going to honestly make some of my best blinds that I have obsolete this year. There's going to be no water. So it's going to put me in a position where it will be trying different tactics that are going to probably work great on a few spots. I've got some great ideas that I know are going to work deep down. And I've got other spots that they may work great, they may work okay, or they might just completely suck. <laughs> but again, have that in your mind as we get into hunting season. Have some ideas, be aggressive in trying things different, and remember you're out there to enjoy it. If you have something that you plan out with some friends, it doesn't matter if you're successful. It just matters that you're with your friends and that you guys had a plan and tried it. This will be something that whoever I'm with is going to have to have buy-in. I'm going to explain it to them and give them the opportunity. And more than likely, they're going to probably be all in and say, yeah, let's, let's give that a shot. It will be so much more fun having something that we're trying like that than just doing the old faithful and sitting on the same blind where you know you're going to get four birds or six birds. You'll have a good hunt but not a great hunt just not really stepping outside our comfort zone. So I hope you can find that for yourself. Share it with your dog in the field. Share it with a few friends. And set hunts up like that. Or not hunts up like that, but days up like that where you just try things different. You never know. I've been hunting my whole life. I'm 48 years old this year. There are so many times when I learn things by stepping out of my comfort zone and learn things by trying things different where you look and go, gosh, that actually worked really well. So that's what the plan is for at least one day this year. I'm sure there'll be more, but at least one day this year, it's going to be dedicated toward that hunt that I've been picturing in my mind since July, since I took a ride on my boat and saw a few things and went, that looks like a cool spot. I've got some other ideas for big game. I've got a couple of spots that are on just a trail in the cattails where it would be fast and furious and it's going to be you hear the you hear the deer coming you get ready and you're going to have a split second um, chance to harvest the animal it's going to be that perfect flush and trying these different spots where there's potentially release birds but definitely going to be some wild birds and you get out there and get to have that perfect hunt in our state in wisconsin there's not a lot of those spots but when you get that spot to give it a shot so have those ideas have those plans. So that's it for the main part of the show. Next, I wanted to talk about a social media post I saw where it talked about how we need to transition or should we transition from force fetch or trained retrieve because dogs would be happier and it wouldn't be cruel. So I wanted to talk about that in our, in our training section coming up after this. Jeff Fuller again from Soggy Acres Retrievers and Sporting Dog Adventures Podcast. When you look at hunting, you need to have yourself prepared. Our good friends at Mac Outdoors have reloading supplies as well as great clay target machines to get you prepared so you have more success in the field. Don't get that dirty look from your dog. Check out Mac Outdoors. 
Jeff Fuller from Sporting Dog Adventures and Soggy Acres Retrievers. In our house, my wife hates having the plastic kennels and wire crates. We need them for the dogs because we have times when they need to be put somewhere, but she cannot stand the look. So we talked to DCT Kennels and we now have a new partnership with them for a product that is a crate, but also a piece of furniture. If you want something that is practical as well as great looking, check out DCT Kennels. Welcome back to the show. So I was on social media. I saw an article that was written by an outdoor comp- an outdoor um, group. And the article talked about the concept of training, in particular, force fetch, also known as trained retrieve, or also known as, by myself, conditioned retrieve. Now, it was the type of article that could have been written portraying different options in training, which there always are. There are many different methods. I will tell you forthright, I know the clicker training is a big deal where you click when the dog does something good. I don't understand it. I tell the dog, good dog. I think that it helps me work with my dog, with my voice inflection and my body language and how I'm talking to them. But people use clicker training. There are people that will say, you shouldn't use e-collars, which I actually posed that question. The comments of the of the article was, is next that you're going to say e-collars are cruel. The thing I didn't like about that and what I don't like about the conversation when we get into different training is the ultimatums. The article point blank said that dogs are happier because you're not abusing them. That's basically the premise that was in the article when you use the concept of trained, trained retrieve, conditioned retrieve, or force fetch. So that was where I took umbrage with it because quite honestly, when we look at different training concepts, we don't need to have a wrong or right. If it's something that works for you, that is great. But we as a sport are done doing a disservice to ourselves by getting in these squabbling matches. And I can talk about this where I was talking to someone in Ireland on a Facebook Live. So on our Sporting Dog Adventures page, we do Facebook Lives. I don't do them as much now since I've got the podcast really rolling, but I would always do two to three a week. And I was talking to someone, and they were talking about the concept of e-collars. With e-collars, what they talked about was that they're banned and illegal in the British Isles in Ireland because they're looked at as cruel. And what I tried to explain to the person was cruelty to an animal is not from the tool. Cruelty of the animal is from the person that is trying to train or punish the animal. My point to him was if a dog does something wrong and you're not, uh, you're not able to correct them because they're not on lead, if you throw a rock at them, do we ban rocks? I actually have heard of years past where when a dog would get out too far, they would actually spray the dog with pet, with, with birdshot. So they're basically shooting the dog. Again, do we ban guns and shot shells because someone took the choice to be abusive to an animal? When you look at your force fetch, trained retrieve, conditioned retrieve in particular, it is done because it's conditioning the dog how to learn. You are basically taking the dog You're teaching them, if you do this and do it quickly, you're going to get positive. But if you don't, you're going to get negative. 
Point being, you're always going to have to have some type of a negative stimulus, whether it is a loud voice where you're being stern with the dog, if that works, where it is a, an ear pinch on trained retrieve or force fetch or an e-collar correction or a healing stick. There are so many different ways. Pinch collars. You have to have something negative so that you can then turn to the dog when they do something positive and be over the top so you're making them choose the correct response. You're basically conditioning their response. You're conditioning their behavior. That's why I don't like calling it force fetch because it's it's actually a conditioned retrieve. You're conditioning the dog to understand and teaching them to learn so that they realize when I put X in my mouth and I hold on to it till I am told to drop it, holy cow, that person loves me. And there were a few of the people on that thread that talked about how if you have a well-trained dog or a well-bred dog that you don't have to use trained retrieve or force fetch. I've heard that same argument for collars. What I will tell you is that if you have that well-bred dog where you've got the titles FC, AFC, HRCH, Grand Hunting Retriever Champion, Master Hunter, Qualified All-H, when you've got those titles in your pedigree, I would make a bet with anyone that 90% of those dogs, if not close to 100%, these methods were used with that dog by a professional and knew what they were doing. Again, we need not hate on a training method. If someone is being abusive to the dog, it is that individual. It's not the training method to blame. And when you look at something like a trained retrieve, that is, or a conditioned retriever, whatever you want to call it, that is a tried and true effective way to teach your dog that has been used for decades. And that is then built upon with your training program, also through e-collar, and I know there's people that are anti-e-collar. My whole thing I always tell people is, one, if you're looking at these methods, how fast can you get the dog trained? The gentleman that was talking that uh, conditioned retriever force fetch was not needed said that you, he, he started training dogs at three to four months. So if you add up the money, and, and I've noticed this with people that are anti-e-collar, they're taking double to triple the time to train these dogs. So they're billing their clients two to three times more. And then at the same time, if you look at their websites, they're not running competitively because they don't have full control of their dog in many instances. There might, there, I'm sure there are some that do, but overall, the majority of what I have seen when we're talking about dogs that are trained with an all-positive method, you will get a certain amount out of them, but you're never going to get them to their peak performance. And again, it's not as much about the negative consequence. It's about having it there so the dog realizes that sucks. I don't want that to happen again. And then using that to be overall positive so the dog really makes that choice like, wow, that sucked when that happened. But holy cow, they really, really love it when I do this. When you're training, if you have a negative response you know, uh, to, to a, a dog that's not doing something correct, always keep in mind, 10 to 20% negative, and it has to be a negative at a correction enough where the dog does not want it to happen again, but then 80 to 90% positive, over the top positive. We do not talk to our dogs enough. And if you're going to be a critique of anything in training, it's that we use negative 
but very little positive. You really need to use, use positive, good voice inflection, quality body language, bent over at the waist, not standing there straight up with your arms crossed, and giving the dog reassurance that yes, they are doing awesome in what you want them to do. I don't care if the dog's sitting and you tell the dog, sit, good dog, sit, good, sit. Or the dog's coming to you and you're telling them, here, good dog, here, as they're coming in. Or the dog's holding and you're telling them, hold, good dog, and repeating it. Give that positive reinforcement and you will understand training far more when you watch the dog and watch their tail. To the person that thinks that dogs are not happy when they're trained with methods other than what they think you should use, that is what is killing our industry and killing our sport. If you watch my dogs, my dogs are incredibly happy. My dogs would run through a brick wall for me. I'm not abusing my dogs. I'm training them and showing them how to make me happy so that they, yes, understand they can't do certain things, but absolutely they, they will run through a brick wall because I give them so much positive. So turn things on its head. Look at your training methods you're going to use and always realize you want to be, in theory, one step ahead of where you really think you're going to be. With that said, I wanted a dog that would fetch a ball that I could take scouting for deer hunting. I ended up running my dogs competitively. Now I don't run my own dogs because I put them with someone that goes to test because I just don't have the time on the weekends and quite honestly they're better handlers than me. But my dogs run competitively. Uh, my My male dogs do. I've had a TV show. I've hosted a second TV show. You never know where your dog is going to take you. So train to a level so that your dog can always be at any level that you choose. Once you get hooked on this sport, you always end up making choices to do more because it's really addicting. So that would be my tip for you today on the training section. Next coming up on the hunting section, we are going to talk about motion in your waterfall decoy spread. All that and more coming up after this. Hey, this is Jeff Fuller from Sporting Dog Adventures Podcast. I want you to know that we buy all of our trucks at Boucher Automotive. We go to Janesville. They've got a great selection, great staff. If you're looking for a new truck or car, check out our friends at Boucher Automotive in Janesville. Our great fans of the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast, we are growing at an astronomical rate, and I want to thank you all. I do ask one thing from you. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Please give us a thumbs up. Follow us, subscribe to us on whatever other platforms you're on. And the most important thing I can ask, share our podcast with your friends so that we can grow our love for the dogs and dogs in the field and make it so that people are more involved in our sport. Again, thank you so much for being listeners. Take care. Welcome back to the show. The last part of the show we're going to talk about today is motion in our decoy spreads. I like to put motion in my decoy spreads. I will use spinners or um, swimmers. I also really like just to have shakers so that there's a little bit of ripple on the water. Now it depends on what I am going to hunt. When I'm hunting teal, I like to put out a lot of motion. When I'm hunting teal as well as big ducks, as well as there's geese in the area, what I like to do then is have 
spinning wing decoys that are on a remote so that I can turn them off if I, one, think that the birds flared at them, or if I, two, think that, uh, or if I see geese coming in. For those that haven't hunted and never make fun of people, because even I did, I, I didn't know this when I started, Canada geese do not like spinning wing decoys. I don't know why. I've hunted speckle bellies. They'll come into them. I've hunted uh, snow geese. They'll come into them. For whatever reason, Canada geese do not like them and will short you or they'll flare at them or they'll just circle and then eventually leave. So it's nice to have the option to turn those off. When we do teal season early, uh, usually I'm not really worried about geese. So we'll put out a flock of flickers. So it's six spinners that are on the water and then two spinning wing decoys. That is kind of my go-to. I will put out and try different things during the season. I usually like to put out two spinners to start with that are on a remote. Again, if I think birds flare, I have no problem turning them off. I have no problem putting them intermittent. No problem moving them around. But you want to make sure that you are putting them in a position so that you can pull them, correct them, put a wing back on them during the hunt quickly because you never know when you want to change things around. Uh, the other thing I like to have out, I like to have shakers out on every hunt so that they are keeping a ripple on the water. I love swimming decoys, but up here in Wisconsin, we have heavy weed cover, so there aren't many swimming decoys that survive. Usually they will be out there and it's not clean water, clean water in the sense that it, it's got weeds. And then you end up where your decoy is trash because it sucks a weed in and it burns the motor out. So have motion, but also don't be afraid to not use it. Realize that everyone in the world is using the spinning wing decoys because they're so popular. So sometimes they're not as much help as you think they are. Try different things with different positions. You can put your spinning wing decoys in the hole. You can put them past the hole where you have. Uh, I've yet to do this on water, but on land we've put them behind us. So it, it's always an option to use different things so that the birds get a different see. They, they get a different view so that they aren't always hunted in the same way and so that you can have more success. But don't be afraid to change things during the hunt if you think things aren't going well. It's never the right answer, and I think that's what's fun about waterfall hunting. It's such a cat and mouse where you're constantly switching things because you think, why didn't this work? Why didn't that work? It worked good early. The sun came up. Now things must look different. You go out. You look back. You try to figure out what they're seeing that you're not seeing. Always have that option to add motion and subtract motion from your waterfall spread even during the hunt. So that would be my hunting tip now. We are through teal season. Our teal season was subpar this year, but still a lot of fun. I am very much looking forward to our uh, big duck season. Uh, that opens in a couple of weeks. So, of course, I will let you know and give you updates on how we do. Please, if you have updates and photos, send us some to Soggy Acres Retrievers on Facebook or Sporting Dog Adventures, even better, on Facebook. The Sporting Dog Adventures page on Facebook. If you send us pictures, we'll actually post them on the page. Uh, if you have questions or you want to send us an email for something you'd like to hear on the podcast, soggyacres.com. You can go there and uh, send us an email. Our email, email otherwise, is sportingdogtv at gmail.com. Never be afraid to ask questions. If it's something that I think probably wouldn't be 
worth putting out because I don't want someone to be embarrassed because it's a simple question, I have no problem answering it. With that said, I like all questions because, quite honestly, most people don't ask questions because of the fear of ridicule. So send me some questions. I'd love to use them on the show. If not, we'll still try to answer them for you, whether it's training, upland, waterfall, anything dog-related. We'd love to talk to you. Have a great week, everyone, and God bless. Sporting dog adventures, run, boy, run. Everything you need is here under the sun.